My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, it's truly my honor to be joined by two incredible women today on this episode. We have Karen Dixon and Kathleen Harnish McCune, and they are sisters. And they are two of three sisters by the last name of Harnish, and that was their name as they were growing up, their given name. And I was introduced to them by uh, my friend Shanna Burgess at Johnson County Mental Health here in the Kansas City area. And these three sisters together have written an incredible book called Remarkably Resilient. And out of that, am I correct, you have started this program also by the same name called Remarkably Resilient. And I'm really excited to dive into this. I want to talk about their story of their uh, growing up years, the impact certain events had on their lives and why they wrote this book and then now have started this program and what the intention of it is and the impact that it's having. So thank you, Karen and Kathleen, so much for joining me on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. Absolutely, Susie. Thank you so much for having us. We're really looking forward to this. Yeah, thank you very much. Why don't you get started by just telling us all uh, about a little bit about your story, your upbringing, your background? Sure. You want me to start, Karen? Yeah. I'll um, I'll start. I want to go back to April of 2017. I happen to be a strategic facilitator in the Kansas City area, and I normally just am worried about process. But this particular day, I was facilitating the coming together of the trauma-informed movement in St. Louis with the trauma-informed community movement in Kansas City. And at this meeting, the St. Louis team came in and they were presenting their Trauma 101 training. I had never heard of adverse childhood experiences. I had never uh, understood the impact that childhood trauma could have on adults. But as they went through the material, I really had one of those true aha moments that changes your world and the trajectory of your life. And I realized in the middle that suddenly this whole neuroscience of trauma was answering the question of why and how that my sisters and I had had. We had never talked about our trauma in any detail, but I think every other year, one of us had a major chronic disease And I kept screaming to the universe, why did we not put up with enough as kids? And the neuroscience of trauma told us why. And then how, how had we been able to break the cycle that had run in multi-generations in our family of incest, abuse, and neglect? And once again, understanding the neuroscience of trauma helped me see that. So I called Karen, you can pick up from there. (laughs) Kathleen called me and said, I know, I understand now. What's wrong? It's it's what happened to us. And that's the piece that we really launched our book off of because we always thought what's wrong with us. And to just rephrase that to what it's what happened to us, 
uh, made all the difference in the world. She explained what she had learned that day. She had said that she thought everyone in the room were liars because they had said their ACE score was a one or a two. And we thought that happened on TV, mm. <laughs> not in real life. And um, she realized that her score was high and that uh, my twin and myself, our score would be at the very top of the scale, oh. a 10 out of 10. Wow. And so um, that just launched us into trying to understand the neuroscience of trauma and how does your brain change and what does this do to your body to have high levels of cortisol your entire life. Yes. So basically, this was a quest on a personal level to understand what had happened to you as children yes. and the impact that it had on your life to this point. Absolutely. Yes. And just so our audience knows, let's let's define what ACE is and what the the test was that you took to determine that score. ACEs is, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it is a list of 10 situations that you might find yourself in under the age of 18. So uh, were you sexually touched inappropriately? Were you uh, hit or struck to the point where you were injured? Did you witness excessive violence in the home toward your mom or another loved one? Uh, was a family member uh, in jail or incarcerated? Was there mental health issues? Was there substance use? Was there poverty? Was there poverty? And so it is very much, it did not as much consider the environment you're in, which ACES has now been expanded to the pair of ACES to also take into account the community environment. The original ACES was all about the childhood experience prior to the age of 18. And as Karen said, Sharon and Karen, they're identical twins, yes. could answer 10 out of 10, and I answered uh, 9 out of 10. And I really thought, with my math background, I thought that the distribution curve would be a normal distribution with both, most people in a 5 or 6. And when I saw that, no, the distribution is highly skewed, and the majority of people have a 0 or 1, um, it, was, it, was, it, changed, it changed my life that day because I suddenly realized that... Um, what had happened had had significant impact and it explained a lot of our health, health issues. issues. Mm. And obviously you guys learned that day that this had impact on your health. When you're talking about health, are we talking about both mental and physical health? Yes, we are. We're talking about periods of depression, anxiety, uh, stress-related illnesses for sure, diabetes, anything to do with your autonomic nervous system um, and also life potential because um, you know both Sharon and myself uh, I left college right after my in the middle of my first year to escape the family um, because my father was going to call me home that summer and I knew what would happen and um, Sharon had a full ride scholarship to Harvard and she didn't take it she followed me to college because she wanted to protect me. Mm. And um, even though we didn't talk a lot about what happened at all, we, she and I together as twins, identical twins, um, endured a lot together. Mm. Sure. So um, yeah, even life potential mm. had changed quite a bit. Yeah, they came to live with me in college. Mm. We, we were poor, yes. but I had a house and a roommate and they came and we lived on 
green beans mm. and mac and cheese and peanut butter. Wow. Wow. I mean, right that, there, that's enough to, to make somebody pause and say, that's a, that's a pretty hard situation. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was better than what we had endured at home. So. Yeah. Would you mind talking a little bit about what you had endured at home as children before the age of 18? I'll start. I, um, I was the oldest. I'm the oldest by 18 months. I um, really had my first what we call turning point moment of resilience, that, that opportunity as a child when you realize that you're going to stand and, with, and you're going to withstand it, you know it's not going to change. Mine was at age five. And dad with me was different. He saw me as his second wife and so came at me with a loving context in the sexual abuse range or realm. And he also was very verbally and emotionally abusive. So there's not a name that you can call me that I haven't already been called a thousand times. But I was really determined. So I would yell back at him. I was probably the first person in his life that he ran into that stood up to him. And I was only five. And so at about age five, I remember that turning point moment to say, uh, I will never treat another person this way. And I have a purpose. I literally heard a voice say that from very deep in my being. You will make a difference uh, and you will be different. And I believed it. And so I walled myself off, kind of lived in my own little world. I took over the family. There was a lot of chaos. I'm really good at bringing order to chaos. My clients will tell you that. But I started at five and I really ran the household, um, had meals to prepare, things to get ordered, uh, make sure that my sisters were taken care of and kind of cajole my parents. So I really took over the household at a very young age and became very walled off. In fact, they called me in high school um, the Ice Princess um, because it was really hard to get close to me, but they also said, you better get out of her way because she's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I really did believe when the universe said to me, um, you are to make a difference, I believed it. Mm -hmm. And I lived my life really that way. And for myself, um, Sharon and I being identical twins, luckily we were born together because it would save us and that we had someone to um, just unconditionally love us, each other. And um, we were, our sexual abuse started when we were very young. We think around age three is what we could remember and um, was very violent and controlling. Um, For myself, I was abused the most often because I was very quiet and withdrawn and giving and loving and never wanted to cause a problem. Sharon ended up being very bold and aggressive and she would confront our father and often, you know, things would rain down on me, but it's, she apparently had to witness some things that I wasn't aware she was witnessing and that was very hard on her. Um, My turning point moment came when I was 12 Uh, Our grandfather was also in on the abuse Mm -hmm. and um, and I had been raped once before by him and then violently uh, when I was about 12 and a half I became pregnant and I could not tell anyone so I worked as a maid in the hotel and waitress to fund an abortion for myself and um, really didn't want to live anymore and so Um, I had confronted my mother that summer and asked her for help and told her a little bit about what was happening and she just slapped me and 
told me not to ever talk about it again and so I was really alone but I had found a dog and his I named him boy and um, everyone knows the story that's heard us talk about a, a dog named boy but um, he became the person that I told everyone to or the the animal that I told every all my problems to and really made me want to live again and um, <clears throat> that summer on one Sunday uh, I went upstairs to get a book to read and my mother was at work and I heard Kathleen what I called in my mind learning the lessons of how to be with a man with my father and I had thought all along that if I just endured then my sisters would be saved and that moment was a turning point moment for me because I realized that indeed I had not saved them entirely and so I chose to, um, well, I didn't choose this, I snapped that day and um, had decided that I would end my life and end my parents' lives. And so I went about the task that day of kind of mentally saying goodbye to everyone and figuring out how I would do that. And I chose a knife. And then when everyone was asleep that night, um, when I went into the room to go ahead and complete this task, uh, my dog came in the room and he grabbed my arm, the one that had the knife, and he would not let go. And I remember it kind of shocked me into some type of a reality. He just led me out the house <laughs> and back through the back door and across the road to the river that he and I always sat at. And <clears throat> I cried and cried and cried. And I had never cried like that before, but I heard a voice and it's, it was a deep internal voice or somewhere that just said, you are, you are loved, you need to believe that you are loved, and you will spread love everywhere you go. And I kind of just realized from then on that love was the answer, and that I would have this deep belief that no matter what I had to endure the rest of the time that I was home, I would, I would endure it, and I would still remain a loving, giving person. And that was transformative for me. Mm -hmm. I did endure until I was 18, but left, um, Sharon and I both left to, to be with Kathleen in college that next morning. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't look back. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that those turning point moments are very, very important. It, it's been with me my entire life. And they really do shape you. I think yes. that was an aha. I didn't realize how driven I was by purpose. And I always kind of thought, Karen, you're a little airy-fairy on this love thing. Love everyone. <laughs> and I think they thought I was a little bit of a hard-ass. Yeah. Well, I probably shouldn't say that. But um, this was such an understanding because we never really, that's what people don't understand is mm -hmm. we never talked about this. Mm -hmm. We were highly isolated. We were put, pit as competitors by our father. We were ranked and rated every Sunday at the dinner table. So she was my competitor, not my sister. Yeah. And it was not until we got older and started journeying. And then it really, it wasn't until we wrote the book, to be honest, Susie, I didn't know these stories. And being the mom of the family, you all can relate. Having something happen to yourself is quite different from having something happen to your children. Mm -hmm. And, um, I took it, uh, it took me to my knees on more than one occasion, yeah. you know, curled in a ball in the corner, bawling when I heard these stories that I had no idea. And people are like, how did you know? Well, because you're so isolated and separated and you're competitors, so you don't really talk to each other. 
Um, so I'm so grateful for them both being willing to do this with me and for their vulnerability. Um, and I'm so proud of how resilient because I didn't know the level of violence. I was lucky because mine was loving. It was still wrong. And it took me longer to realize it was wrong, but at least, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have the violent level of violence that they had. I just want to tell you guys both that I am so sorry. And for your other sister, I am so sorry for what you endured as children. I was wrong. You did not deserve yes. that. No one yeah. deserves that. No. And I'm, I'm just so sorry that that happened to yeah. you. And I'm sure you have probably spent most of your life with it, both internal and external scars from it. Yes. Thank yeah. you, Susie. Yeah, thank you. And I've read a little bit about trauma. I'm learning more about it because it's such a piece of mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, it can be the root of a lot of different things like addiction in all forms, yes. um, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, you know, like yes. Karen, like what you just said. And yeah. um, I wanna dive a little bit more into what you learned about the neuroscience I am not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. I barely made it through college biology because I had to take it. Um, but I know I've heard this a lot. I've been reading more about it, that this neuroscience is, is opening up this whole new world of information about trauma and how trauma affects us as children and then can go on into adulthood and the rest of our lives. So can you guys shed a little information um, on this neurobiology piece that you learned about and what that means? Absolutely. At its very basic level is we all have a human stress response. So if a bear comes walking in this room right now, our human stress response is going off and we're going to go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? And that's normal. You want that to happen. And what happens is when that occurs, your thinking goes into your survival brain, your base of your brain, and then some emotional of the brain because it's understanding it. And your body starts producing cortisol and other adrenaline type things in order for you to be able to, right? Increase your heart rate, get running, fight, whatever you're gonna do. That's normal. What happens when you live in an environment like we did, your human stress response goes on overdrive. Because of the unpredictability, we did live with a bear, a monster. We had our grandfather yeah. on the paternal side, a monster. And so you never knew when the monster was coming into the room. You never knew which dad was coming uh, into the house. And so you're always, your stress response is always on. So think about you're always on fight, flight, or freeze, or overdrive. So your system is dumping cortisol and other adrenalines into your system to prepare for fight, flight, or freeze. And maybe dad would come home in a good mood and nobody would get hurt or hit or, or you know, um, sexually assaulted, but you didn't know. And so all that dumping is what then can, it's not guaranteed, but it can impact then your hormonal system. I happen to be left infertile from my abuse. It can impact your um, autoimmune system, your cardiovascular system. Um, and then also, as you said, you get these tapes in your head about you're not enough, you're not perfect, you're not, and you're definitely not loved. You get left with a hole oh, yeah. in the middle of your soul, which we so often, I can say I did this more than the twins, 
Um, in my 20s and 30s, I tried to fill that hole from the outside in through some excessive drinking, some bad relationships. I made some bad choices, um, but I was trying to fill this emptiness that you feel inside that you can't even articulate. And then when you realize that that's what it is, you say, wait a minute, I have to fill that hole up from the inside out, mm. not from the outside in. So that neuroscience, on the other side, I do want to just touch on Neuroscience also tells you about positive experiences mm -hmm. that can help counterbalance. So we'll want to talk about that yes. because that is really our insight into how in the heck did we survive? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And how did we become resilient. You know, resilient and how did we break the cycle? It's also that side of the neuroscience that's equally important. But I wanted to address this trauma side mm -hmm. and what it really does to you. Absolutely. And we hear this a lot from adult yes. survivors that yes. we work with. Sure. I'm guessing that a lot of adult survivors of this type of abuse are not functioning as well as you guys or, and maybe have, yeah. you know, different addiction issues, different yes. significant mental health issues. And I, I know that you have a lot of extensive physical um, mm -hmm. health issues. And I, I'm so sorry about, you know, this leaving you infertile. I mean, that's just, it, it's all really kind of hard to wrap your brain around. Um, but I bet you see a lot of those invisible scars when you're talking to other yeah. survivor, adult survivors. Yes. And it's, you know, our, like, again, our main message to them, it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened. And then it's a matter of learning that that is an effect on your mental health and physical well-being, and going into adulthood, then going, how do I help counteract that? How do I get help learning how to get myself regulated? We didn't even know that we weren't regulated. <laughs> I mean, that's how much we didn't know about all of this all these years. But the sooner you can interject the kind of help that's needed with mental health and learning different regulation techniques, the healthier you'll be and everyone around you will be. So that's why we started on this journey to try to talk about our lived experience mm -hmm. and show others that there is it is possible to be successful it's possible to be happy. It's hot, possible to be mothers and to have a good career, but it's not without its difficulties as well. And as we say to everyone, um, this is a journey, not a destination. So, um, but I have many, many, many happy days and happy moments and great memories. And I have some times when I'm touched quite deeply by stories and then I have some times that I am triggered and I'm not able to function very well so and I think that sounds to me like that would be super understandable yes yes what are some of the ways that you guys have experienced your childhood trauma in affecting future relationships or adult relationships that type of thing I would say for myself, um, I probably always go into any kind of a relationship with a little bit of caution, more so than I would probably normally in that I'm not as trusting 
someone really has to earn my trust before I'm able to um, reveal who I am in reality and not just be the person that they wanted me to be. Um, with the kind of experience that I had, I was trafficked as well. So I had to learn to um, morph myself and fit in in lots of situations no one should have to mm. morph themselves into. And so it's um, interesting that, you know, there are a few people that I trust entirely. And then some people, you know, are just surface level because I can't quite let that guard down all the way. Um, and then in terms of health, of course, I mean, I've had 23 abdominal surgeries. I had all kinds of physical issues. I have the diabetes, a lot of autoimmune issues. And so that affects all of those, including my children. When they were growing up, mom was on the operating table more than enough times. And um, that that impacted them as well. They They actually had some what we call vicarious trauma from that, mm -hmm. worrying about their mother. So, but for the most part, you know, I, I feel like I can love well and I know myself and I know for me just recently, probably within the last, I'm going to be 62 in my late, late fifties is when I started to learn about boundaries mm. yeah. and be able to voice them because I was never able to do that. I was just going to be nice to everyone and hope for the best. And so I had to learn. Kathleen was right. I was a little bit of a love fairy going on and I needed to learn boundaries. Well, but that and helped you survive. It did help me survive. And so I, some of those things that you learn in terms of mechanisms that help you survive aren't necessarily the things that you should carry forward your entire life. Mm. Um, just like I learned that my twin sister, Sharon, has had to learn not to be as bold and not to be um, tricking everyone and that type of thing because, and not to be as dysregulated because we called her the Taz when yeah. we were growing up <laughs> because she was just all over the place. And so, yeah, it just affects everyone so differently, but you can learn what works for you and work and what works well. And then what do you need to add in addition to that to be able to make your life work for you better? Yes. That is, yeah, that's just for those of us who have not experienced this, this type of a trauma, it, it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear it's really difficult to understand how an adult could do these things to a child but yet I also yes. know that it happens way 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 too often yes mm. yeah wow yeah it does it does Kathleen you talked a little bit about you know that moment in 2017 when you were at this conference and that was like the light bulb of oh my gosh this is how I survived this was you know, my resilient moment and how that led you to want to write this book with your sisters. Would you just press into that a little bit more for us, please? Absolutely. On the way home, when I called Karen, I said, um, this, this helps us understand the why of all of our health issues and the how, how we broke the cycle. And I said, I also though understand now 
some of those pieces of resilience. And I think if we are to, what I believe, because I'm purpose-driven, I believe with all every bit of my being that this happened to the three of us, that we were born into this family, that this had happened. We were supposed to be the fourth generation to hurt our children, and we did not. But I believe we were born, three of us, um, we happen to be relatively smart. We're mm. lucky we got our dad's real strategy brain. So had we had you know, any developmental or intellectual delays, I think it'd be very different. We're supposed to help other people. We are supposed to come through and tell our story because so much of the reason this persists is it persists in the darkness and in the silence and that you're afraid to talk about it. you're ashamed, you're embarrassed, you feel guilty. I can't even tell you the layers of that. And I, I just believe with all my being that we were put in that situation because now at this age, we are supposed to help others and we're supposed to give voice, not only to those that had similar trauma, but to help everyone better learn how to manage when you experience any kind of stress or trauma, it doesn't have to be toxic. You can get dysregulated you're not in your thinking brain, so you're not as good of a parent. And to understand all those positive experiences that you can help yourself and your children with so that we're all more resilient. And I just, I do believe, Susie, that, um, I believe that's why. And for me, I have to have a why. I have to, all of us need a sure. why. Um, that's why it was so important. Mm -hmm. and. Karen said yes first, and Sharon said no. Yeah. Yep. And we respected that, so Karen and I started writing, and it was probably four or five months in. And then she decided to join in. It was a difficult summer. We, um, like I said, there are a lot of times where Kathleen, we would send her a story, and she would be like, I can't. We're like, well, did you read it? Nope. Mm. She got two sentences in, you know, mm. and... And then, you know, us understanding that she was our mother, you know, and the impact it was having on her was, you know, really hard for Sharon and I to go ahead. And we weren't and will never probably share every experience that we had because it's not necessary and it's not necessary for people to know or to harm her any further. Um, but, yeah, it brought us together and we understand each other a lot more and we felt very purpose-driven then. And again, it doesn't, um, there's nothing that can make our experience better and we can't take it away, but we can help others. And that makes it feel better in the sense that we know that we, even if we help one person and one family, then that makes a difference in this world. And after all, that's why we think we're here, yes. so. Absolutely. And, and to get it out of the darkness because it's not talked about. In fact, the funniest thing oh. that happened. Oh, Kathleen has to tell this story. I don't know if I should. You should. <laughs> you should. Okay, well, I won't name names, but I was being interviewed on a TV station. And they knew about the book. They knew about the topic. It was all very, but the night before, the morning I was supposed to be on, I get a call. And they said, uh, we've been talking to our producer, our editor, and there are just some words you can't use tomorrow. Oh. I said, okay. And they said, you cannot say incest and you cannot say sexual abuse. My first response was, excuse me, do you know what the book's right? about? Yeah. And they said, yes. 
And then my dysregulated self, my self of what, 2017, yes. would have told them where to stick the interview. I would have gone off. But my regulated self took a breath. I had to take a breath because I got dysregulated. I felt my heart rate rate increasing. I was getting sweaty. I was getting worked up. I was getting kind of fired up, ready to. So I took a breath, calmed myself down, and I said, okay, we can do that. And then I called my sisters. We were dysregulated right away. <laughs> and we started playing thesaurus. Well, yes. What are the terms we can right? use? So... Yes, it was just unbelievable. It was sad for us. And we said that's why it stays in the darkness. Yeah. But, and that's why it's perpetuated. Um, but we came up with unwanted, unwanted touches in private places. No, unwanted per parental touches. Oh, that's what it was. Wow. Was what we came up with. And I don't remember what the other term was that we used. But she made it through the interview. Wow. She did a great job. And... Yeah, it was a it was kind of a wow moment for us, but we still persist and tell our story, and that's what we were meant to do. So we're not going to be silent about this, yeah. and we're going to help others. Yeah, because like you said, shining a light on the dark places is how yes. know, how we get these things to be talked about, and we help other yes. people, and that's yeah, that's yes. really all you can do. Um, Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about dysregulation for the listeners okay. who don't know what that is. So we'll, we'll start there. So talk about emotional regulation and or dysregulation and what that means, please. Well, dysregulation is when, you know, you experience that point where um, your body goes into this fight, flight or freeze mode um, and it can look different. It can be hyper aroused where you get, as Kathleen said, the heart rate is increasing. You feel more aggressive. You might lose it. You might do a number of things that you wouldn't typically do. Or it can also be hypo dysregulated, which is what I was when we learned this scale. And it was like Kathleen and Sharon were always hyper aroused and I was hypo. I looked more depressed, quiet. There were times I froze. I couldn't fight if I wanted to, you know. So um, that's what dysregulation looks like. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an extremely um, traumatic experience. It can also happen during high stress moments. You know, think about driving. We've all yes. had this. We're driving to work. Somebody cuts in front of us, yeah. and we are angry, and we're honking, we're flipping off, we're yelling. We're speeding up. Yeah, Try. and what what we want people to realize is that you've been triggered. You're in a dysregulated state, and now your thinking is not in your frontal lobe where you're rational. It goes to your survival or emotional brain. And we all know our decisions from our emotional brain only aren't as good as when they're balanced with the rational. Mm -hmm. So we want people to recognize when you're triggered, right? You're either hyper, you're ready to take somebody down or you're ready to withdraw and disengage. And then you do a regulating technique and you learn regulation first in the womb of your birth mom. I say that because I'm an adopted mom um, and you get it from their heartbeat. So anything that's rhythmic and repetitive is regulating. 
So I was watching the story in the news today about that young boy that loves to vacuum all the time. Yes. Vacuuming is regulating. So is uh, yoga breath. So is touching each one of your fingers to your thumb and doing a mantra, I've got this, I've got this. So you learn a technique that works for you. And when you do that in that pause between being triggered before you react, you pause so that you can respond, that is thoughtfully decide what to do. So yeah, you might still honk your horn, flip them off, right? Or you might not, because you pause, but then at least before you go to the office, you get yourself regulated so the first person that runs into you, you don't bite their head off, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing. And the same thing you try to do to just be there as a parent, we all get triggered by our kiddos. They all do things mm -hmm. that really, they know how to push our yes, buttons. They do. <laughs> and so you decide if you value that relationship, and this is what I think about with, I had to learn this with my son who has a lot of um, um, serious and complex mental illnesses and uh, autism. I had to learn with him this together. And so when one of us got dysregulated, we used to like explode at each other. And that was a lose-lose. Nobody wins at that. Right. Now what I realize is I love him. I value him. I want it to be a positive and we need to learn something rather than use what the way we were treated. And now I think I want it to be win-win. So we say to each other, you know, I'm dysregulated and I need a moment and we go away from each other and sometimes we need 24 hours now it's not an avoidance technique we're coming back to the fact that you broke curfew you don't get avoid it but it's not i'm not the best right now to deal with it so let's go get regulated and then we're going to come back and that gives you a win-win relationship and i honestly think about that now before i just react i think i value this person i value this relationship i want it to be a win-win that means i need to be in my thinking brain and I do that in a split second, and I use a regulating mm. skill, anything rhythmic and repetitive that helps you calm. That's really good. It makes me think of mindfulness activities and things like that. I mean, same type of thing, right? Mindfulness, regulating, where we're you know trying to get more oxygen to the prefrontal cortex so that we can use our whole brain and not just our emotional brain. Listen to me sounding like a scientist, but I'm not, to be clear. You got it. <laughs> to be clear, just a mom here, but, and that keeps us from flying off the handle, saying something that we regret, you know, acting out in an emotional way that, like you said, ends up hurting someone's feelings, somebody that we care about. Absolutely, Susie, you, absolutely, you got this. Yes. Well, geez, it's taken me a long time to figure this out. My kids would probably say, she wasn't really good at that one <laughs> when we were growing up. So I've learned a lot in the last few years. Yeah. What were some of the coping mechanisms that you guys used growing up? I mean, I know you both talked about those, those moments, you know, those life-changing moments when you realized I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to change this familial pattern. But what were yes. other coping mechanisms, healthy or not healthy, that you were that you were incorporating? Well, for myself, I have what I now know is called dissociation, okay. and I actually could leave my body and go somewhere else and come back um, 
you know, and experience the pain, but not necessarily have experienced the entire experience, if that makes sense. And so um, for me, that has remained with me and I don't fight it. It's kind of my friend. Um, when things are painful for me now, I am able to leave essentially and come back. And so I have a very high pain tolerance. I've had a lot of surgeries where I didn't need any narcotics because I knew where I could go. Um, I had to, but that being said, I had to learn when not to leave. If it was an emotional situation where I needed to be present, I had to remember that this isn't a time where you have to leave. So that was a big coping mechanism for me. And then for Sharon and I both, we loved horses. <laughs> and so we found horses wherever we, we pretended we were horses. Yeah. <laughs> um, we lived in a bit of a fantasy world that, you know, only twins can live in together. And um, we kind of escaped there and kind of didn't care as much what our parents thought. We weren't as uh, compliant, if you were, as our older brother and sister were. And um, one of the good things that came out of having to just rely on each other and not really have parents per se, was we learned how to uh, make ourselves well-liked in the community. Yes. And so um, that helped us tremendously. Our, the tagline under our book is Remarkably Resilient Community mm -hmm. Matters because for Sharon and I, the community and for Kathleen, yeah. I mean, had we not been raised, had we been raised in an environment where folks didn't look out for each other, then it wouldn't have worked. But we had people in the community that absolutely knew something was mm -hmm. wrong. No one ever asked, but they stepped mm -hmm. in and they took action. We had people that took action for us yes. and employed us, or I had some school teachers that they didn't ask me why I was at school at 7.15 in the morning and why I was in every activity so I didn't have to go home mm -hmm. at night. You know, they just were there mm -hmm. for us. And so that made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, and what we learned in, you know, neuroscience is that it only takes one relationship, absolutely just one that's very important like that, that can change the trajectory for these children mm -hmm. into adulthood. And so that part was mm -hmm. important, I think, if that answered your question. Yeah, no, I love yeah. that. And I, I was gonna push into that next about um, what we as community members can do and what your experience was as children. But before we do that, Kathleen, could you tell me what kind of coping mechanisms you used to get through your sure. childhood? After my turning point moment of resilience, I think that is roughly when I really did steal myself up. I walled myself off and I had this vision of the perfect world. And so if what was happening to me didn't fit that, it was, it was non-existent. And I got really lucky. I have a memory eraser and I literally wiped out memories. I have, in fact, Sharon and Karen, when we were growing up, used to think I just didn't mm. care. In fact, they saw it as a real negative thing. Well, she doesn't remember anything. You were right there, Kathleen. You were standing there. You saw it. I'm like, I don't know. So I was really protective that way and able to erase most of it. 
And then um, I kept that steeled up. It's why I didn't get married till later. And um, my first marriage did not work out because I told him what had happened and he told me he would have never married me had he known. Oh, wow. And that was the day I left emotionally. I didn't leave physically, but I started the plan to leave. And um, then I also, that memory eraser has stayed with me. So I've learned to compensate and I've told my friends. And so like, I literally, Susie can go to somebody's funeral, their parents' funeral. And if I don't note it on my calendar, it will get erased. I, I don't erase business things because work was my mm -hmm. refuge. We all started working two jobs when we were 13, 12 wow. and 13. We've worked full time our entire mm -hmm. lives, but it was a refuge and it was wonderful. And I love it and I'm so grateful. And those were the people that helped us see other models and helped save us and gave mm -hmm. us economic freedom. I, I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. However, work is kind of a refuge mm -hmm. for us. And so I can remember everything with work, any kind of strategy and client. I can remember a thousand things. But personal, I do have to make notes. And my friends know, and they'll, sometimes I'll look at them. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't remember. And I forgot to make mm -hmm. a note. You know, so they just give us a lot of grace which I really appreciate because it is a mechanism. It, I haven't been able to figure out how to undo mm -hmm. it. I just learned to compensate as best I can by making up all kinds of notes in my phone mm -hmm. about people, mm -hmm. um, even down to their kids, their kids' ages, what happened to their parents, did I go? I, I, you, you just be shocked how many notes I have to make because those memories just erase on the personal side, but I'm actually quite grateful for it. Well, because I'm really grateful. Yeah. For and it. I don't, again, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I've, I've read a little bit that, you know, that's often what happens with people, adults who have suffered childhood trauma is they can't remember it. And that's a, that was a protective mechanism. And that, you know, yes. like you're talking about can carry on through adulthood again, to protect mm -hmm. yourself from, those types of hurts mm -hmm. because why would you want to yeah. remember that and why would you want to live through it again and I don't know the answer right. to that I'm yeah I'm just a mom I'm not a therapist or a counselor or a doctor um, but it seems to me like yeah no you wouldn't want to have to live through that but I don't know if that's been part of any therapy that you've done along the way of kind of trying to recall some of those memories or I think of two things. One is in therapy, my, I said to my therapist, I do not need to, I do not want to, and if you force me to, I'm walking out. It wasn't important to me. However, on the flip side, remember that adult survivor we worked with? Mm -hmm. And she followed up with us even, and she couldn't get anyone in her family to believe because she was the only one. And she so wanted to remember more. She was begging to figure out how, because Karen, unlike me. Yeah, I, I, didn't, has, I didn't get the memory eraser. I've asked therapists to please try to insert that into my brain <laughs> and they can't. So I have motion pictures, you know, a lot and that's not pleasant. Wow. But um, for me, therapy worked for me to have a lot of talk therapy and um, in my early 20s and then I didn't have to go back to therapy again until uh, COVID hit and when people started wearing a mask and the first time I put one in on in a grocery store I found myself in the corner of an aisle uh, falling apart and shaking and not understanding what had happened and then I'm like whoa the memory of having my hand over my mouth or my mouth taped shut got to me and I could not and cannot still wear a mask without yeah. 
I went back into therapy going, this is going to be important for me to be able to do. And I haven't been able to break that. I also cannot wear any type of a CPAP and I need one. So, um, yeah, therapy, the therapist that worked with me, you know, recently and has worked with me, um, was able to do some type of hypnosis or whatever and bring me back to some of those moments. And, um, I mean, right back there and it's super hard and, but is right there with me, walking with me, talking with me, helping my adult person talk to that child and heal some mm -hmm. things. And so some of those very traumatic things have lessened for me. Mm -hmm. And it was important for me to be brought back to those moments. Um, mm. So that's, I mean, it doesn't work for everyone. I think you have to yeah. try on again, what yeah. works for you. Well, and um, I've been very lucky to have incredible mm -hmm. therapists. Yeah, so. and it was better for me to have them say, what happened, which is Susie, what you said at the beginning, it was wrong. I'm sorry that it happened. It shouldn't have happened. I just needed to hear that and that it wasn't something that I had done. That again, without using the terms back then, it's what happened to you, not what's wrong Absolutely. with you. But I did not, nor do I, which is want to remember. I have, I have a handful of full color motion picture memories. Uh, that's enough. I don't want any more. And then I've picked up a couple from mm -hmm. the twins. Um, and listening to them, and that has been uh, difficult. And I, I, I went back into therapy as we opened up our lives and our vulnerability to be able to process, particularly what I was learning about what happened to my sisters. I, 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 mm -hmm. I still struggle with it. I have some nightmares over some images that um, they shared, some things that aren't in the book nor never will be shared. Um, so yeah, I think I am so grateful for the therapists that have worked with us, and I'm grateful that they were flexible with each of us, with different people, but able to start where we're at and journey us into mm -hmm. more recovery and understanding, but there wasn't a one-size-fits-all mm -hmm. for us at all. No, and I, I would guess that that's fairly typical, That, and yeah. I'm thankful for yeah. all the amazing therapists and counselors that oh, so we have. Oh, so are and the social yes, workers and everyone yes, involved so with all the mental health like practitioners we are thankful for yes. well let's move on into more about your book and your program remarkably resilient and you guys both talked about your turning point turning point moment of resilience and how did you parlay that into this book and into the into the program that you do well, we definitely opened the book with those turning point moments mm -hmm. because we felt those really shaped. And then throughout our journey on the neuroscience, we uncovered what we call the four R's of resilience. So first and foremost for us were relationships. So the one safe, securing, loving adult relationship, we knew that was that, with, that without which, and we all knew immediately who that, who was. that was. It didn't take us five seconds to write those stories that we knew. So relationships regulation we suddenly realized we've been dysregulated that was the second r the third r was just what you just asked us about response or our coping mechanisms and also the fact that the community responded with action and that's our call to action to the community when you see something respond with action help step in uh, we appreciate the prayer we want the prayers but prayers are the action before the action please also do mm. something and then recovery and recovery, those places, spaces, and graces, graces that allow that. 
And so when we decided to launch Remarkably Resilient Together, which is a community awareness campaign, we did it in partnership with uh, one of Team Tech's, my firm's longstanding clients of seven years, Johnson County Mental Health Center. We are not the mental health experts. We are very much, yes. we've read, we've learned, we have lived experience. We are not mental health experts. So we wanted that partnership. And when I talked to Tim DeWeese, the director, I've known him since he became the director in 2015, we said, we want to move. We've been waiting, honestly, Susie. We're like, surely somebody's going to pick up this book and they're going to move our calls to action into action. Yeah. We have four calls to action. Somebody's going to do that. And we're like, I think it's supposed to be I us. think we need to. I mean, duh, it took us a long time, four years. And so we said, wait a minute, we need to do it. And so our call to action with regulation echoes that of Dr. Bruce Perry, who authored uh, with Oprah Winfrey, What Happened to You, that we should teach regulation to everyone. And we thought that from the very beginning when we learned about it, we're like, oh, good. Yes, we should have learned about this it's when we were eight. Ago. And so we also know the movement in social emotional teaching in school. And we realized that we really are more resilient humans when we're regulated. And then we added a piece in about self-care. That is, we have a full resilience cup. So our first R of regulation is about teaching regulation to everyone. And so we have created uh, with Johnson County Mental Health Center. And you get the materials through there friends organization, you make a donation, you get a journal, which has some background on the history of trauma and the human yes. stress response and empathy-based secondary trauma, secondary trauma, which Karen's an expert at having been an EMT. EMT yeah. And then we did two decks of cards, 52 cards that give you regulating techniques. So things to stop that human stress response when you don't need it. And then 52 cards that we call in the overtime deck, which give you some self-care practices to help keep your resilience cup full, right? Because if you've got a resilience cup that's one run dry, it's really hard for you to take care of others because you're not taking care of yourself. So that's it in a nutshell, yeah. but will only be distributed through nonprofit partners. So our first here in Johnson County, but we've got one coming on board in Wyandotte County and one actually down in Sarasota, Florida, where I do some work. So we're pretty mm -hmm. excited about supporting uh, nonprofit organizations that work with the most vulnerable in our communities. Um, obviously, given our background, uh, we want we want to um, support those organizations. And we've got a couple of school systems interested Wonderful. as well um, for for their children right. well, to have available. I can see this becoming a nationwide program overnight. Really, that I mean, would be our dream. Like, this course. seems so needed. Um, so important and to just to let the adults in the world know that you could be that one adult to, yes. to a child who's you don't have a clue what they might be experiencing but yes. you might be the one to give a job or you know say you know what I believe in you I think you are smart and you could go to college or you can graduate from high school and a lot of times yes. that's just what somebody needs is just somebody to believe in them. And that's what you guys have talked about so extensively in your book and in the program. And I, I think it's awesome. And I can't wait to see how many different, um, you know, cities, counties, states across the nation use this. We do have listeners all over the country. And so I would encourage the listeners to um, get in contact with their local mental health 
uh, county mental health providers about this program, their school districts. And do you guys work with companies too? Do you do anything with, you know, like for-profit companies? Yes, in fact, uh, we just got our first donation from a corporation that is making these available to um, different individuals uh, in the child welfare world. And then uh, they were just at a conference on uh, with the community mental health centers in Kansas. But we are also launching on November 1st in at Johnson County Mental Health Center, and I think corporations could see this in their well-being programs. We're launching Remarkably Resilient Together um, for Johnson County Mental Health Center staff. We did a pilot, staff said we love it, yeah. we want it. Um, and so we'll be launching that, doing a few videos, and those videos will be made publicly available. And we have a PowerPoint wow. that's already uh, available at remarkably-resilient.com. And then you just click on the little ribbon that says Remarkably Resilient Together. That'll take you to the Friends page to get the material through a donation, tax deductible. And at the bottom, you can scroll down how to use it. You can get the PowerPoint. It's free. Uh, it just takes your folks through the journal and does some exercise and interaction. Mm -hmm. And the videos should be up and ready sometime in November. And Johnson County Mental Health Center will make those available publicly, too, for people to use. So really great part of your well-being or wellness campaign in your corporation. Um, because, again, we're just better more resilient people when we're regulated and when we fill our resilience Absolutely. Cup. Can people outside of the Johnson County, Kansas area make a donation to the Friends organization and access the materials? Almost okay. definitely. Yeah, like Kathleen said, just click on it and it'll take you right to their site. You'll be able to donate or you'll be able to purchase for yourself and or donate. Yeah, so it's available, um, again, if you go to either Friends mm -hmm. of Johnson County Mental Health Center, you mm -hmm. Google that, you go under Campaign, and you'll see under Campaign, uh, they list Remarkably Resilient together, but we also have it on our webpage, remarkably-resilient.com. And I will put and all of that it. in the show notes so that listeners can access oh, it easily, um, and I hope that people flood in and purchase this program because it's it's really amazing anyone can benefit from yes. this and learn something from it yes. and i would highly highly encourage all the listeners to get a hold of it because it's fantastic karen and kathleen is there anything that i have not asked you that you want to make sure and emphasize or point out i think the other piece would be in this Remarkably Resilient Together is the piece on self-care. Yes. And I'd like to just say two words or maybe a few more about self-care. I must admit, up until November of 2021, was one of those people that said, self-care, are you kidding me? Have you seen my schedule? Do you know my responsibilities? Do you have any idea what my life is like? I don't have time. I was one of those. And then, long story short, in 2021, I had four significant uh, traumas. Our mother passed away. Um, my son was involuntarily committed. Um, I lost my business partner of 30 years, who was also uh, very much the father I never had, my mentor, my colleague. Uh, I lost Joel. And then I witnessed my husband in an accident that resulted in a traumatic brain injury that is life-changing. And uh, that was a lot. And I'm very resilient, and nothing has ever dropped me to my knees. 
I dropped to my knees in November and I was ready to find a way out that um, would trigger my life insurance because that would help us financially in the midst of all this cascading um, difficulties. And rushing to my side, reached out, and rushing to my side was my sister Karen, and um, they reached out to Tim DeWeese, who talked to me and said something that I'll never forget, um, and that is, Kathleen, you let your resilience cup run dry, and you can't do that. And no one had ever said that to mm -hmm. me, Susie. In fact, we were always at home. We had to be always moving, yes. doing, right, busy, productive, and I... That moment, another turning point moment, I suddenly had this aha that that's what self-care is. Self-care mm -hmm. is making sure your resilience cup is full so that you can not only take care of yourself, but you can take care of others. And so I've done a complete 180. So that's why the second deck, I'm telling you, had I not had that moment, I don't know if the second deck right, would have been, would have in, been in there. To really put a downbeat on self-care and making it a regular practice finding those things that care for your soul, right, that give you joy, that those are the things that I think about now. And I've really shifted the way I use my limited time, energy, and resources. Um, so I'm different, and I needed that whack up the side of the head, though it was very scary, and I don't ever want to go back there again. So I think that part. Yeah, I think that is really important. We would not have had that in there, I don't think, had that not happened. But it happened for a reason. And um, now we both realize that because, again, we weren't allowed <clears throat> to take care of ourselves or think about taking care of ourselves growing up. And so that's a practice we've had to learn, actually, and um, unlearn some of the unhealthy things that we had learned along the way about always having to be perfect, always having to be productive, always having to be doing something for others. Um, we had to learn to take care of ourselves. And that was, it's been mind, it's been, it's been, it's opened our mind to a lot of new realms in relationships, mm -hmm. even with our spouses or our children, with each other, and most importantly with mm -hmm. ourselves. It's the old adage of you've got to put your, on the airplane, your mm -hmm. oxygen mask on first if you're yes. going to be able to help or be any good to anybody else. And thank you for pointing that out because you're right. It's so, so, self-care is so important. Yes. Well, Kathleen and Karen, what a great conversation that we had today. Thank you for just being willing to share your story, which is not an easy story to share. And I hope that someone who needs to hear that and learn from it and maybe make a change uh, hears this episode and knows that they have that resiliency in them too and they can get help and they can be resilient uh -huh. like you guys. And thank yes. you for using your extremely difficult life situations to come up with this incredible, well, write this incredible book and then parlay it into a program that's going to help just, I think, millions of people. Well, thank you. I'm just humbled. Yes. I guess is what I'd thank like Thank you to for say. giving thank us you. the audience and allowing us to speak our truth and help others. Well, yeah. I Ditto. think... You guys are awesome, and I'm a big fan, and I really do appreciate your time. And 
you being willing to be on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Susie. Thank you to all your listeners as well. Yes. Thanks, you guys. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.